Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSum solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then, through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once-a-year town hall or a company-wide email to share what causes the org supported last year. GiveSome allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company, and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Gilbert Bong. How are you doing, Gilbert? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks again for uh, having me on. My pleasure. I look forward to, as we were just joking, this is a topic of curiosity and interest for me. And if you're a business owner or you're even playing it all in this world, oh, the investment markets, different strategies, so easy to feel like someone else has got it all figured out, but you're still trying, maybe that's just me. Man, someone's got to, seems like they're making the money. What am I doing? So we're going to get into a, a fairly complex topic. And more importantly, we're going to share your point of view on it. So you're founding partner and president at Zelos Investment Council and Zelos Capital Limited. So let's just start right off cold. Let's get Get in the elevator, the pitch elevator. What is Zelos Investment Council and Zelos Capital? What do you guys do? What problem do you solve in the world? And what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, so Zelos Investment Council is a boutique investment management firm, as well as uh, we do corporate advisory. So helping companies raise money and advising them on merger and acquisition opportunities. Excellent. What makes it a boutique? This is just a, I'm in marketing. I love good mar- I love good words, but I also like to define them as well. Yeah, I I think in, in terms of the way I think of a boutique, it usually implies independent and uh, mm-hmm. usually a, a, a smaller size as as compared to belonging to a bank owned um, dealership is 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 kind of how I think of that. So that that does afford us a lot of. Uh, flexibility and avenue for us to find opportunities that are in the best interest of our clients as as opposed to being have to having to sell <laughs> shop product if you, if you will so to meet, meet your quota of x amount of products sold x amount of customers at the end of the month i think any of us who know anything or watch the news there's been lots of uh, negativity around how that game might be played so we're just going to leave that out of this podcast <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not who you are and what you do who are your who are your customers that always gives a good understanding so who do you who's the perfect group individuals who do you love to help and who gets the most benefit from your services absolutely so on the wealth management side our clientele is quite diverse uh, we've we've worked with individuals that are early on in their wealth accumulation journey. Everyone from you know a graduating uh, law school student or or, or dentistry uh, student, all the way to retired energy executives. So it really runs the gamut. We have added. Um, we have had the opportunity to advise um, some institutional uh, clients as well as municipalities on. 
cash management and mm. um, cash flow uh, considerations as well. On the the corporate advisory side, where we help companies raise money and advise them on merger and acquisition opportunities, it really runs the gamut because. My historical core competency was in energy, uh, but we have really become industry agnostic and more entrepreneur and team specific. So we've done a lot of work um, in uh, uh, companies that are applying technology to traditional businesses, such as oil field, real estate, uh, financial services, those types of businesses, as well as more traditional businesses such as uh, construction and uniform security guard business. No, interesting. So, uh, would I be safe? And again, I'm, I'm always quick to make, an, make, make a statement, and you can tell me if it's wrong or not. The wealth advisory and the corporate consulting, they feel like those could easily be two separate businesses. Am I correct, too, to, to kind of think that? that? That is correct. I, I would say that the focus of our firm today is wealth management, uh, and the corporate advisory has taken a smaller um, portion of, of time and resources uh, okay. over the course of time. But what we do like to get involved in, and we do see a lot of synergies as a result, is helping business owners sell their business. Because if we can get in on those opportunities, we have the ability to demonstrate skills, build that culture of trust, and be able to help them in a very important life uh, event that could result in a lot of uh, liquidity coming forth. And we hope to help them uh, continue and investing those funds as, as that, that event takes place. So though, though that, that would be kind of our, our primary focus on that side of uh, the business. Okay. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Would you say it's often, I know a lot of business owners are like, Oh, I don't do a lot of investments. My business is my investment. My business is Absolutely. my retirement. That's where I just sunk everything back into the company. It, bit of a broad statement. Do you find that? Is that kind of, is that universally true? I'm sure there's always outliers, but would you find that's often the case with entrepreneurs who have built their businesses maybe 10, 15, 20 years, uh, or even shorter shorter time frames? I'm just thinking about, okay, I'm getting your retirement. Oh, I've got this business, but maybe I haven't been socking away a whole bunch of funds for, for my retirement because my business was that. Is that a universal truth or is that also maybe just a common misnomer? You know, it, it really depends on the entrepreneur and the type of business, the nature of the business, but oftentimes mm-hmm. what you describe is is pretty accurate. Like uh, it, it depends on what's happening within the business where cash might be uh, constrained or, or, or needed during different cycles. So because of the ebbs and flows and the flexibility that's required, entrepreneurs really are a unique clientele that we service quite well because we're entrepreneurs ourselves. We know what it takes to start businesses and and what can occur as it relates to the ebbs and flows of cash flow needs and and um, other things that that would uh, that would be only uh, entrepreneurs would only understand. So uh, as a result, we've actually won business because we are entrepreneurs ourselves and being able to uh, understand the unique nature of someone owning a business is is something that is quite unique, I believe, in in our perspectives. You you feel my pain, or you feel our pain, or yeah, the universal are. So for my audience, I want to get into some of your approach around retail and and the different avenues and non traditional and maybe what you're not going to what you're going to find different than at your at your large institutions. But before we get there, this is a little foreshadowing for the for later in the episode for people that want to tune out or tune back in. 
Let's talk about the entrepreneurial journey. I'm in the first couple of years of building my business. I'm putting all my money in. I'm thinking about the journey of, I'm, I'm looking off into the horizon when I'm going to have this amazing exit, but I'm in the early days. I'm setting things up. I'm maybe three to five years in. So not startup phase, but I've got a business and it's rolling, but you're right. I haven't, RSP is TFS. What are you talking about? I'm putting all my money back into my business. Just some of that. These, from your perspective, if you were meeting with an individual who's on that journey and you probably do and say, okay, let's think about 10 years or 15 years from now. From an investment horizon, because you're, I'm probably thinking about my business five or 10 years from now, not necessarily the other way around. What are some of the things or some of the lessons or some of the checklists that you want to put in place for those individuals? What do they need to start thinking about at year five? So year 10 or year 15, providing that they run that business for that period of time ends up in a good, sound, safe place for them and their family when they look at the next phase of life. What do you need to do now to make sure you're set up for later? Yeah, absolutely. A few things that I would suggest and advise on is one, um, start understanding some of the tax implications that could be uh, a result, uh, whether there's a liquidity event or how how you foresee the the business evolving. And as an example, there's the constant debate and um, you know trade offs as it relates to how you get business how how you get funds out of the business uh via yeah. dividends or paying yourself salaries and there's certainly pros and cons depending on uh what your personal situation is and uh and and life cycle uh and in addition when when you look at a business forming the the majority of your net wealth that is a highly concentrated position and there needs to be some thought and, and foresight into how that transitions into a more diversified portfolio, because we 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 certainly feel that diversification is a uh, uh, one of the key tools that an investor has at their disposal in order to uh, maintain a, a similar return profile, but dramatically lower the risks as as a result of mm-hmm. uh, of diversification, and and uh, it, it, and. It, other considerations are some of the risk mitigation tools that might need to be considered. Because essentially, if you're running a business where if you disappear, the business goes away, that's a huge risk for the the your family, your 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 stakeholders, the employees. So mm-hmm. you you have to consider things like uh, key person insurance and other things in order to um, ensure that everything is okay in the worst case scenario. <laughs> so we've got diversification, we've got kind of portfolio strategy, if you will, in terms of asset allocation and, and balance. Risk, de-risk, risk, de-risk, risk, de-risk. You've got products and things like insurance, like shareholders. And if, you, if you've got partners, making sure your agreements are tight, like all of those things they tell you when you get into business, you need to take care of. They're all true in my experience, as I've been running the same business for 15 years with a business partner. We put things in place through our advisors 15 years ago, I was like, why do we even need that? 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I understand why we needed that. That was smart. (laughs) And I took the advice of my advisors at the time, but just to the brass tacks. And I like to make sometimes oversimplify, oversimplify, assuming we know the answer is usually where we get into the most trouble. Salaries, dividends. Uh, I'm in a, I'm running a business. Should I be doing RSP? Should I be doing TFSAs? Should I be setting up a Should I be setting up a trust? Should I be setting up a hold co versus paying myself? Is there any? And I know it's all personalized. And you and you said that there's every individual situation. Is there some rules of thumbs though that you can look across? Because I remember all of those questions in the early days. 
almost somebody had a case for why one or the other were both right or wrong at the same time. That can be very confusing as a business owner to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the value of having trusted advisors. We're certainly not tax experts. Um, so having a, a, a high quality tax advisor is is worth mm. it. it. You know, they, they sometimes don't, uh, aren't the cheapest professionals to get on the the, the payroll, but uh, yeah. they they if they if they if they pay for themselves as it relates to the savings that you can uh, realize as a result, it, it, it's worth it. So, um, and they're often to, saving you money in the future you haven't even seen yet, or you know there is that side of it of like, but when you're growing your business, sometimes those are costs you don't want to incur in that journey, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why, you know, describing the scenario where you're at the three, five year, six year mark, where you actually have a business, you know that there's longevity, it's not a proof of concept, there's scale, yep. uh, you're growing, y- you know, you have something there that is worth investing uh, time and resources to protect and set up properly. Mm. And that, I think that you're right. It very much is relevance to where you where you are in the journey. So if you get a client at that at that level, I'm assuming some of the first things you'll do is look at well, what is your corporate structure? Let us let's see your shareholder agreement if if there's multiple parties involved. And there's probably a lot of kind of checks and balances and house cleaning that goes on at that point. I know I've been through those journeys, so I'm empath- I'm, I'm projecting a little bit on my own experience. Now, all of a sudden, I'm a business owner and I've got corporate revenue. I maybe have paid myself less than on maybe market to keep the money, but I want to start investing and I want to start looking at different retail vehicles, whether I put, do I put money into a hold code and invest it there? Do I pull it out, pay the tax and invest it myself? What are some of the transitions or what does that start to look like when you get into like, okay, I've got some money floating around that I want to do something with. I don't know where to go with it. I talk, I sit down with you and you go, great, we've got one will to have a customized approach, which I heard very clearly to your needs, but what are some of the vehicles or what are some of the strategies that you look at when it comes to like, I've got my 50 grand or my hundred grand, let's just pick a hundred grand as a number. What do I start doing with it? Mm. Yeah. You know, registered accounts, that being the RSP, TFSA are are very powerful um, accounts to take advantage of. Uh, Eventually with success, uh, individuals and, and uh, well, outgrow the the capacity as it relates to the limitations that you could uh, contribute to that so ultimately you're in uh just a standard uh taxable account or cash and and certainly you can uh, invest in uh, a cash account personally uh, or you can also open a uh, a corporate account as well and invest as a corporation and 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 both would have different tax implications but uh, essentially that that is a great exercise and position to be in if you actually do have access funds to be able to invest and and have maxed out your rsp and tfsa contribution room so Okay. I, I don't know if that answered your, your question, but a, you know. a little bit. It was kind of the, the first step. I guess, what are some of the criteria? Let's say I've pulled out enough personally that I can maximize my RSP and my TFSA. So I've taken advantage of those advantages, the, the few that the government give me. And there's debate around where those are beneficial and why. And people, oh, you're going to pay taxes forever. But the tax deferred in the short term, I think, does have its benefits, especially because we're talking about individuals that are offered often in higher tax brackets or sometimes at the highest tax bracket. So how can they get some type of, some type of uh, um, ease from the tax, from the tax burden? Once you're at that point, is that where you start to look seriously as like, well, let's just keep this money in the corporation. Let's set up maybe a side corporation so we can pull the money. Maybe it's your hold code, depending how you structured your, your legal uh, 
framework. Is that where it starts to make sense to start to keep it inside and invest inside a holding company of some of some sort that maybe is arms linked away from your operating business? Yeah, oftentimes that uh, makes sense, but it really is case dependent. There's certainly, um, you know, this the separation adds some benefits as it relates to uh, protection, depending on the the nature of assets and and what happens to the business. You you can uh, set up the 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 separate structures in order to um, again, it's it's about risk uh, management and and de risking Mm -hmm. the situation for yourself and your your business partners and everyone else that. Uh, would benefit from that situation. Yeah, the longer I'm in business, the more I realize that my most of my job is how do I mitigate risk and and try to maximize upside while mitigating risk at the same time. But don't forget to mitigate risk. Uh, talking about and you and I chatted about this when we first connected. I think is what kind of sparked my really curiosity to get you get you on the on the podcast was the different different retail approaches for different approaches for retail investors. And that, you know, I think that whether it's inside your corporation or you personally, there's different places to put your money and there's the mainstream stuff that we all look at. Everybody looks at the stock market every day to drive themselves crazy one way or another. Um, we, you know, ETFs and, and, and mutual funds and all those things. But as you start peeling back the layers, I've also encountered, there's a lot of boutique firms or more, sorry, not a lot. There's a few boutique firms like yours that I've encountered in the city or even Western Canada. They're like, Oh, we're going to, to get you we're going to get different access to different pools of investments that maybe aren't always available at first blush as a retail investor talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that and you know and how and how zelos plays in that space mm. yeah we we feel like we have a very good vantage point as it relates to what the largest and most sophisticated institutions are uh, doing from an investment perspective my my business partner kareen stangerlin she's had the opportunity and pleasure to serve on uh, two pension boards now. She sat on Alberta T- Treasury, uh, or sorry, Al- Alberta Teachers uh, Retirement Fund, which is an eighteen mm-hmm. billion dollar pension for for the public teachers uh, in Alberta. And uh, now she currently sits on the College of Arts and Applied Technology, which is a CAT pension, which is a consortium of polytechnic schools and some corporate um, pensions uh, uh, based in Eastern Canada, and. Okay. Uh, as a result, um, something uh, obviously different profile from an individual versus a pension in terms of time frame, risk mm-hmm. profile, etc. Uh, but something that is uh, very apparent is even the access to investment opportunities is different. So mm-hmm. oftentimes these uh, institutional funds that uh, tend to be uh, that tend to be high quality, uh, potentially lower volatility, uh, higher return funds uh, are out of reach for individuals as a result of minimum thresholds that they need to invest in order to access them directly. So for us at Zealous Investment Council, we've been able to set up our system such that we're able to aggregate our client capital. And as an example, even our U.S. equities manager, we're allocating to TD Greystone. Their minimum investment is five million dollars. So, as an individual, yeah. if you're if you're trying to access just U.S. equities uh, and it's a five million dollar ticket, you have to have a very high net worth in order to properly build a diversified portfolio. So, and uh, and the other element of that is there is. Um, uh, 
typically uh, investments have been focused around stocks as well as uh, bonds. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's a whole other category of investments that we we call alternatives. And and that is very broad, which uh, includes things like private real estate, hedge funds, private equity, structured products, things of that nature. And uh, that offers a whole other level of diversification and risk mitigation for clients. And, and we, we are, we are pretty material as it relates to our allocation to these alternatives where across client portfolios, we're allocating about 30 to 40% to alternatives. And, and that category of investment has been very challenging for individuals and families to access directly. Interesting. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's another organization, the city that I've met that I first got introduced to this concept. So when you and I chatted, I latched onto it right away. But you're right. It's not something I've run into very frequently. It is, does it, it does feel like it's a still a little bit of a best kept secret in a way. And you know, I want to use that term even, even loosely. Um, funds under management, you mentioned about the ability to be able to bring it all together to have that impact. Is that something you want to share? How much, what are funds under management? Is that something you share openly or if it's not, I'll always ask, but you don't have to answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of, I mean, yeah, we, we're still under a hundred million, but, uh, okay. uh, it's something that we, we are starting to see, see material scale in, in our business, but inevitably as an entrepreneur and business owner, everything takes longer, costs more money. Uh, that's that's essentially the, the rules of starting a business. So uh, anyone that's thinking about starting something, it, it, it will tend to uh, require a lot more time, energy, and resources than you initially think. Yep. <laughs> yes, that, that's right. How long have you guys been in business? What's your, what's your timeline? So we're going to be celebrating our seventh year anniversary on, uh, in mid-June. Nice. Well, happy, happy, happy anniversary. That's seventh. Yeah. That's a real, that's a, that's a real number. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. And curious, just your own growth fi- profile. Has it been, if we, if we mapped it out, if we pulled out the graph and you guys are financial guys, I bet are financial guys and gals, I bet you have a graph, uh, quick. And then was, has it been, been a pretty even growth trajectory? Did it kind of mirror what was happening in the economy and when people were feeling flush versus like, Oh my God, we're constrained. We're going to put money under the mattress. How has your growth been over those seven years? Has it been pretty steady or has it followed along with kind of a bit of the economic roller coaster that we all live in these days? You know, uh, the, the economic picture definitely plays a role, but also the nature of the business and where we are focused plays a role. So what I meant by that mm. is I think we had mentioned uh, we were much more focused on the corporate advisory in the early days. And as a result, uh, revenues and, and cash flows were were more lumpy. It, it, you know, in, in yeah. that type of business, yeah. it's uh, we might be able to command a little bit of a, a monthly retainer on the front end. But really, the compensation is predicated on an event that being success-based. So either a percentage of the financing or percentage of the transaction value. And it's either windfalls or or working for free right so that that's kind of the nature of that business and uh the wealth management business obviously is a much more stable business but it it takes it takes a long time to to build uh as a result just because if we're really talking about um a management fee that starts at one percent per annum and 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 tears down depending on how much assets you have uh with with our firm then adding a million dollars in assets under management at just over 800 
dollars in in monthly recurring revenue, right? So, Got so it. that's kind of the the business. So, hopefully, that gives you a sense of it does what that it business does. looks mm-hmm. like. So, yeah. Do you find I love? Thank you for sharing this. One percent is where we start at, and it goes down based on. Are are you finding is are we getting better, or has there been a more of a demand from consumers to have more transparency in the financial services business and the investment space around fees and hidden fees and what actually who's getting comped for what and grifts and graphs and sales sales bonuses and I feel there's been a demand or certainly a little bit of a cry from a retail investor to want more transparency. Is that actually happening, or what's what you? I'm just I appreciate how quickly you're like, hey, this is this is where we start and we work from there. Is that something also you use you, you guys camp out on as a differentiator to be really transparent? <laughs> I, I think it's you know we, we certainly viewed it as table stakes. If you if you look at hmm. the the founders of our firm and our backgrounds, we've traditionally dealt with uh, institutions and large corporations, and as a result of that, that has hmm. always been a fairly uh, transparent environment because you know you're dealing with sophisticated players. Uh, this is in their first rodeo. Uh, yeah, but taking that experience and the way that we see the world and really dealing with uh, a new clientele set, which runs the gamut, some may be more sophisticated, but some may be very successful individuals, but they have very little or emerging knowledge of when it comes to investments. Yeah. So it, 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 it has been something that has been quite shocking to learn about as as we had started getting into this industry where as you alluded to there's things like these um deferred sales charges and um product that advisors would put their clients into which would have these these um uh lagging commissions uh that would trigger if a client would to pull out of a certain product early uh depending on the tiering of uh the, those fees and there there has been a lot of great work done by advocacy groups like as an example Kareen used to sit on the cfa advocacy groups to uh better promote and uh make more transparent uh some of these situations so i, I think it's gotten better uh but i think we really had a advantage in terms of not coming from wealth management backgrounds and starting with a blank piece of paper and saying, how do we build this business properly? And as a result, we've kind of gravitated to a model uh, to which we believe that eventually the, the, the industry will be heading in, 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 in earnest. Uh, but it, it takes time and, you know, old models and old compensation structures and everything uh, that was put in place, some, some people... <laughs> you know, are stuck in their ways and they're not, they're not going to change. And those advisors will essentially do what they have been doing until they retire. And only with the new generation coming in, you're going to see some more change take place. Which, you know, we just summed up change management in a nutshell, you know, for every, for every group that's gaining from change, there's a, there's a group that might be losing. And if you look at those motivations, I might just be happy the way it is. (laughs) It might be working for me. I might have built my 40 year career on the rules that were given to me when I started, when I started, when I started playing. What do you see in the impact around the self-directed investor that well, I can just go online, I can get well simple, I can get this account, I can do, I can pick the thing, uh, and I can just go invest in it and ride the wave and get you know feel very empowered. Some days when I win, it feels like going to the casino. If you're into that sort of thing, like oh man, I feel great when I win, but it doesn't feel so great when I don't. How do you think that's either positive or impacted the 
the everyday investor who's trying to maybe say, hey, I can save some money, quote unquote, and do it on my own. Yep. Um, versus has that also just created more transparency and more pressure to for people to demand, yeah, I want to have service, I want to have a professional advisor, but I want to be really clear on what I'm paying for. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, anyone that has an interest in investing, I would definitely encourage them to uh, open a self-directed account, you know, pick pick some investments and 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 start to understand how that all works. Uh, ultimately, you you look at the growth as it relates to even some of the index funds, ETFs that are tracking index funds, and it's been massive. So mm-hmm. everyone is is gravitating towards um, you know uh, um, um, well. I guess uh, a lot of people are gravitating towards a model where they can self-service, track the index, uh, keep fees low. And, and, and ultimately, no one's going to be, um, no one's not going to do well if they invest for the long term and invest consistently uh, as it relates to the principles of compounded returns. Uh, the question I would pose, and we post often, is if there's a way to earn better returns and lower volatility and uh, do that on a and, and look at everything on an after fee basis if you're further ahead uh, wouldn't you do that all day long so <laughs> yes that, that, yes that's, if, that's, that, if you were asking i'll say yes <laughs> so so, that, so that's the question there, there's been a lot of studies as it relates to generally like mutual funds destroying value on average after fees but essentially, if you can be with an investment management firm that is not investing in the average funds, but rather investing in the highest quartile uh, risk-adjusted funds, and after fees, you're going to be ahead, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But ultimately, I think in working with any service provider, there needs to be a relationship of trust, uh, mm. and that goes a long way. Uh, the 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 relationship between an individual and an advisor is greater than the relationship between that individual and that firm itself. Uh, as we've seen, where an advisor will move to one platform, and most of their clients and most of their assets will follow them. So so you, you know, I think people invest in people, and investing is the most in, intimate thing that you can ask someone to do. You know, you're 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 revealing a lot as it relates to your personal financial situation. So you're put in the position naturally of vulnerability, and there is a certain level of trust that's required, especially with a discretionary investment model where it, investment managers are making decisions uh, without getting uh, permission in advance. But that is governed by an investment policy statement that lays out the parameters and the risks and restrictions that you have to maintain uh, in order to uh, abide by uh, what what was laid out and agreed to. I love what you said about the vulnerability and the, you know just getting into the philosophy and the psychology around money and wealth and and how it's viewed and do you find with a lot of the individuals you talk with and I'm going to make a broad statement like 
I find so many people have an unhealthy relationship with wealth, money, planning for the future, saving, those types of things, whether it's because they grew up in an environment where it was, you know, hush, hush, don't talk about it because we're Canadian and that's just the thing that we do sometimes to do broad sweeping statements, <laughs> whether we've been here for a while, whether we're new Canadians, seems to be this Canadian culture of, of, of shame and don't talk about it. And when you deal with individuals, do you find sometimes initially that just getting over that is the first hurdle? <laughs> The ability Absolutely. to talk about it honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um it 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 really is a scenario where individuals uh as a result of not having that transparency or that information at their fingertips, it, people, you know, naturally people are social animals. So we we tend to compare ourselves to other individuals and uh some people will not know we in in our industry, we we're afforded a very interesting vantage point because we do deal with a lot of clients that run the gamut. There's um, a whole spectrum of different clients and different financial situations, and and as a result, even though that's a smaller subset as compared to the world, we we do have a you know a general sense of uh, how people are 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 positioned uh, on on average, and sometimes an individual will come to us, and there is a lot of uh, re- resistance and and even shame as it relates to where they are financially, where they they feel like they should be further ahead. They feel like yeah. they should, you know, uh, have had certain milestones met, etc. But in, in reality, they're actually very well positioned, or they're actually further ahead than 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 average individuals. But people just don't have that reference point. So to your point, it is the first step as it relates to building that culture of trust it's really having those vulnerable discussions and disclosing where you're at and and where you need to go you know in in principle it's fairly simple as it relates to charting out a starting point ending an ending point and establishing a plan as to how to get there yeah. but because you're dealing with people and a very intimate subject which that being financials uh, it it gets complex. How many customers would you say if you took a hundred customers that you dealt with? How many of them would be comfortable answering the question of like, what's your number, and like, what do you need to retire comfortably? What do you need to not work? Whatever retire means to you, because that's a big, you know, that might be freedom. I want to travel six months of the year and work the other six months doing consulting work. And yeah, I guess more to your point, I love what you said about here's a starting point, here's the end point. Let's build a plan to get there. You mean like any type of structured goal setting that we do in a lot of our life as business owners, especially. But I find a lot of my friends, and this is my own filter, they'll be like, I don't have enough. I'm like, well, what's enough? Well, I don't know, but I don't have enough of it. I'm like, well, that's kind of a ridiculous statement. <laughs> I'm not tall enough. How tall should tall be? I don't know, taller. I'm like, what does that even mean? Do you find a lot of people that you come in and you chat with, that elusive number, that elusive goal to get to is just that? It's elusive because it actually hasn't been planned out? Is that more common than not? It is very common. It, it's th- That's why... I think the approach and the exercise that we often undergo is really understanding what retirement or other financial goals really mean for a client because yeah. retirement can mean a lot of different things depending on what kind of lifestyle and what you want to do and how you want to do it. And sometimes people are often surprised as it relates to once we actually sit down, get some realistic uh, cost estimates and and you know even 
uh, chart out a few different scenarios for variability that sometimes the number is a lot lower than they initially think because mm. again they they just haven't had the opportunity to sit down and and really figure it out from a, a financial point of view and and ultimately anything that I've been privy to from a forecast perspective ever since the start of my career <clears throat> when we were doing it for companies uh, or and now individuals is as soon as a forecast is printed it, it it's wrong but what <laughs> yeah. what what it does afford you is is parameters and it allows you to revise as required depending on major changes and and life events that uh it, it really does help an individual uh chart a path to to an end goal mm. I'm I'm only going to assume that a lot of your work uh, outside of making sound financial decisions and helping put a plan together is having a like heart to hearts with these individuals of like well what is the you know and I don't want to use the word retirement it's such a charged word what is the next phase or where do you want to get to or what are your goals because sometimes that's a lot of soul searching and humans are notoriously I think weak at living in the future we live like a week or two out sometimes. And I think depending on certain individuals are really good at like, okay, 10 years from now, here's where I want to be. I think statistically, if you read up on it, the majority of the population lives in kind of a 30 day cycle. Like that's why saving is so hard because that's, it's too abstract for me to think about the 10 year from now. How do I make 10 year from now, Tyler, really in a good place? I need someone to help me because that's pretty, that's a very abstract conversation. Uh, so a little bit of philosophy and, uh, and consulting or sorry, and counseling in your, in your role, uh, Gilbert, is that safe to say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I believe, especially, uh, in the, in the space that I'm in now dealing with individuals and even small to medium sized businesses, it's, it's a much more intimate, uh, profession that I mm. I'm involved in. Whereas it was, it was great you know, working with the corporate development uh, director at a big oil and gas company. But for that individual, that is his job in some sense, where a business owner that has built something from nothing, this is their life's work. And and yeah, it means yeah. differently and it hits differently. And, and there's maybe not from a dollar and cents perspective, but from an impact perspective, it, the stakes are much higher. So that that's kind of the uh the space that I find myself in and it's um it's uh it's really engaging and something that I I've learned especially um myself and another individual we co-host a, a podcast and and one of our guests had said that you have to separate yourself from the result ultimately you can you can't live an individual's life they they're running the business you can advise them and add to their chance of success. But if things don't happen the way that everyone wants them to, that's not something that you should wear the weight of and you can't to be an effective trusted advisor. So it's 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 been a great experience. How do you support each other inside your own organization? How, sorry, how many people on your team? I didn't ask that earlier. <laughs> so we have um we currently have uh six individuals. Uh one of which just went on maternity leave. So, so oh, really? five cool. currently. Yeah. Five. How, 
I guess, how deliberate are you or how openly, and you, you just alluded to, that's why I wanted to pull on that thread. The markets go down, the phone's ringing off the hook, people are upset, they're concerned. Some people are like, yeah, no, I'm good for the long term. Other people get very reactive in those environments. And I'm speaking just through referencing other friends of mine who work in your space. How much of a support network do you do you have or have you had to create for each other? To, to your point, there's external factors that maybe as an advisor were completely and utterly outside of your control, but yet you get that phone call when things aren't going well. I can only imagine that there's some roller coaster days in the office. And it's not like one of you are getting the calls that day when things are going sideways in the markets, you all are getting the calls. <laughs> I'm assuming you guys have a bit of a support network to, to keep each other lifted up when it could be really, it could be tough. I'm imagining. Yeah, I'm absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, there's certainly um, support systems within our organization where, you know, we, we do debrief, we we have regular touch points daily. And sometimes we are talking about certain client scenarios and conversations that we've had. So that that certainly is helpful from a cathartic and and, and working out perspective. <laughs> yes. um, but I, I do, over the course of time, have started to uh, develop a, more of a peer group as it relates to entrepreneurs and and nice. and and that sort of uh, those types of individuals. I don't formally belong to a executive peer group or or anything of that nature at this point, but th- those are very important just because you could speak freely, and sometimes things get very very deep, and you, you need that type of outlet and especially as a as a male uh in in men tend not to be able to talk about deep and uh deep feelings and things that are really kind of um uh, on their mind often sometimes it's really even challenging to to speak to your spouse about certain things right so it's really good to have a release valve for that for that peer group or, or that a handful of trusted individuals that you can lean on. I, uh, yes, we're all human and being humans messy. I've been in, I've been a member of, uh, tech, the executive committee since 2011, six years was out for a couple of years, missed it, went back in. And the value, if I look back on my own career, my own business growth, the things we've gone through, having a group of peer advisors that have your best interests in mind, but are still there to lift you up when you need it, but kicking the butt when you're not, when you're maybe when you got your eyes closed and you should have them open, it's been exponentially valuable. I would highly, you know, it can be very lonely being in business. It can be lonely being in life if you're not willing to share. Putting yourself in an environment and seeing other people share and seeing other people lead by example it helps us get over as our own way as as men, as humans. But you're right. I think there is some stereotypes around being a male where I'm going to lock it up and just keep carrying more more bricks in my backpack. Sometimes you should take a couple of bricks out. It makes it easier. <laughs> that backpack gets a little heavy after a while. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued with the, some of the, you know, therapeutic options that are available, uh, particularly one that you, you had mentioned to us when we interviewed you in the, the podcast. Uh, so it's, uh, it, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities out there, but people just need to take advantage of them and experiment as well in, in terms of what's going to work and what, what, what's not right. So every individual is, is, is different. 
Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I didn't, didn't disclose it earlier, but Gilbert and his uh, partner, Hifkis, and I had a really good conversation on on their podcast, which is going to be coming out probably almost before this one goes live. We had a great chat. And as anyone who knows me knows, I'm a huge advocate of not only coaching, but personal growth at almost at all costs. And I say that a little bit tongue, tongue in cheek, being willing to explore and understanding the role of psychedelics, the role of talk therapy, the role of cognitive therapy. I don't think there's one. It's like working out. What's the best exercise? The one that you get results from. More importantly, the one that you do. I think personal, you got to work the brain and the soul and the consciousness out just as much as you want to go work out your biceps, your abs, or just to use a, a, a very loose metaphor. But we spend a lot of time working on the outside. You should work on the inside too, guys and gals. Don't, don't, don't forget. And guess what? It's not just you that are feeling this. Once after a few minutes of conversation, you're like, oh, I'm not the only entrepreneur who's feeling like I have imposter syndrome, like I don't have all the answers, da, 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 like whatever the long, whatever the long list happens, happens to be. And I do appreciate the avenue you have. And you said it earlier about how intimate it is to be in this role, to work with individuals around their money that's often uncomfortable and often is hooked in all kinds of different beliefs and how we were raised and what was or wasn't talked about at the, at the dinner table or, or, or what I've been exposed to the good and the bad examples. I do really appreciate that you're, you're not just crunching numbers. You're actually dealing with humans and their hopes and their dreams. And that that's huge. I really, I really appreciate the weight of that. Yeah. I, I would, I would say that the whole relationship management and the, that aspect of the business is, it at least occupies more more resources as it relates mm-hmm. to um, what we do and, and the value add and and it's so interesting because and and you'd appreciate this as a business owner and I, I I've always been fascinated with business models and how things work and how businesses get paid but sometimes it's not perfectly aligned as it relates to how a business or individual gets compensated as compared to the value that's created around that. So, mm, okay. you, you know, as an example, we get paid a management fee based on assets under management, uh, but we don't charge for value-added services such as putting together a, a financial plan, you, you know, unlimited access as it relates to uh, conversations and analysis that a, a client may need. And, and similar speaking, even on a transaction where a deal may not even close, uh, so a company may not sell. We may not be successful in raising a financing, but there's a lot of value that's been created as it relates to the entrepreneur being able to understand how investors view their business, some of the issues that they might need to rectify in order to increase their chance of success, and um, some uh, introspection that is forced upon them when they peel back their business. And, And they oftentimes identify inefficiencies or other things that that can can be changed within the organization so there's a lot of value to be added there i i've had many the, uh, many a speaker in my tech as part of tech is you bring in speakers talking about that exercise of getting your business ready for selling and what you need to look at even if you're not thinking of selling that exercise can be incredibly revealing in terms of like you said efficiencies or hidden hidden black holes of of cost <laughs> that you're like oh that's just the way we always did it and you're like wow maybe we should have not left that idle and just sucking money for the last four years <laughs> and we've all found things like that and it feels a bit shameful sometimes depending on the size and scope of your business but is, i've yet to meet a business owner that doesn't take it personally when something like that gets discovered like oh can't believe it and then you beat yourself up versus just go solve the problem (laughs) yeah it's like even doing that on a personal exercise where you have these five subscriptions that you've never used and you're like why am i still paying for this (laughs) 
That is a very good idea. There's like, it's like there's a whole industry built on getting you to sign up for reoccurring things that you're probably never going to. Statistically, they know, like we all know the gym membership model, but we live in a world of subscriptions now that used to, the gym model used to be kind of the one that was guilty. I think it's so many of the apps and the, oh, but the things I'm going to do when I signed up for that year long thing. <laughs> oh man, the hopes. So what is it? We judge, we, what is the joke? We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. The whole intentions piece is can be risky. You got to still look at the action you showed up with that with with that intention i think savings and money is a great part of it um you and i can go and talk and rabbit hole and we we got a little bit philosophical at the end which i love so thank you thank you for taking us here any advice or anything you want to share you've been doing this for a while you're you are you're living in the role but you're also helping people in their role as growing businesses and being an entrepreneur any of the things that just kind of come to mind of like oh and i wish i knew that or hey if i could share one thing with anybody who's listening uh you know here's the soapbox so i love giving you the microphone anything you want to share with the world yeah absolutely i think as it relates to investing specifically start you know where wherever you are just start and <laughs> start and, and, i love it dot dot <laughs> yeah i mean it, wherever you are in your journey nice. uh it 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 the the power of compounding returns is mm. is fantastic and the magnitude is is exponential and so being able to start start to educate yourself talk to advisors, you know, there's a lot of free online resources and everything like that. Certainly we're available to uh, talk to anyone that might be interested in the space, but I, I would encourage people to start and start early because some something that you may not have, may, you may not have any assets, uh, investable assets at this current time, but hopefully you're in a position where you have some time and, and that is the most valuable resource. I love it. Just start. Uh, Zealousglobal.com. You guys are easy to find. You got a website with lots of great information on here. You're, of course, you're on LinkedIn. Do you have a preferred? I don't, I don't ask how people can get a hold of you because we all know there's a million ways. What's your preferred? Do you like LinkedIn? Do you like emails? Yeah, the the, the platform that I use mo- most often is probably LinkedIn. So feel awesome. free to connect with me. Send me a message. Uh, you know, I it, there, there's a lot of noise. I, I, I try to respond to legitimate messages but there's so many that's like <laughs> like you know auto generated and you, you know sometimes my name's yes. even wrong and that sort of stuff so it's funny anyone listening who does that come on do better try harder that's so lazy i hate it it's so it's so noisy if you ever want to feel popular though i do recommend start a business put yourself out there to the world and watch how many people will reach out to you completely unsolicited and probably in an annoying way <laughs> Yeah, if you ever feel somehow elevated by the amount of uh, emails you get or, or direct messages on LinkedIn, start a bu- start a business. I highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, Gilbert, I really appreciate the conversation, the dialogue, one the passion and the human face that you kind of brought to it at the end of just the journey that you're on, and how much impact that you can have on the clients and the people you work with. And clearly, and no no one can see your face right now because this is audio, but you are beaming ear to ear. So when we got into that that side of it, is when you really kind of came alive. So it's uh, your passion is showing. Good job. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. It was a great conversation. And I, I've been a fan of the podcast. I've listened to several episodes. And uh, I think I may mention that uh, to you as a, a podcast veteran. So it's really been an honor to, you know, now having a, a, a podcast ourselves, we know what all the time and energy and resources <laughs> and even the, the, you know, the, e- even the hesitation of putting out something into the world for public consumption and hoping people listen to it. It's exciting, but a scary journey. So uh, it, you've been on it for longer than, than we have. 
Thank you very much for saying that. It's it's a lot. If you don't do, don't ever start a podcast unless you love it, because trust me, the work it balances out the the joy of it. But I do. Uh, at first, I had such imposter syndrome. I almost didn't start the podcast because I was so like, who am I, and why would I put something out in the world? And finally, got out of my own way. And guess what? It was the, I just started, and it was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> it's paid off in space because I get to meet cool people like you, Gilbert. Thanks for the kind words, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And I look, we will be chatting again. I I, I promise you that. Mm. All right. Thank you so much. 